Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. Join us each week or when you can. We enjoy exploring wellness concepts and reminding you to make time for wellness. This is episode 84. It's a new week here on the Let's Be Well Together podcast. It's Elise Seifert here, joined by Sheila Webster. Hi, Elise. It's great to be here. So what's on your mind? Well, today I was hoping we could discuss an article that we both read, Mm -hmm. and it's called Why Friendship Makes Us Healthier. It's found on BBC Future. It's written by Christine Rowe, and it was published on the 30th of March, 2023. Yeah, I really enjoyed that article. It was great. For sure. I think when I think about friendship, I always think about the mental wellness it mm-hmm. provides. Mm-hmm. But in this article, it actually talks about physical health benefits of friendships. Yeah. I definitely noticed when I sold my dance studio, I was missing the socialness from that. I was a little bit lonely. Yeah, I can imagine that because I remember being at the dance studio with you Mm -hmm. and it would be time to leave and I'd be waiting in the car and I'd be like, what is she doing up there? And she's talking to people and and you got a lot of social time and so did I. Definitely. From being at the dance studio. In the studio and outside the studio. So I did have to rebuild my social friendships once I left the dance studio and try and keep those relationships as well because you don't see them every day. You have to make a point of of keeping those relationships. Oh, definitely. And it's work, right? Mm -hmm. You have to work to keep those friendships going, which can be really tricky. I know for me, after I left university, a lot of my friends dispersed throughout Canada, but also throughout the world. So I know that's a bit of a challenge having to rebuild new friendships because you don't get to see those people as frequently. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this article said, the one thing I found was quite interesting was that when you're lonely, your body actually reacts to that and your white blood cells change. That's right. So that means that you could be more prone to illnesses. So it's worse for your immune system. I was shocked. I was shocked too. It's like it changes your behavior and it, it can actually weaken you. That's right. And it could cause high cholesterol as well is what this study showed. And the study was done with a predominantly white community and a predominantly wealthy community. Mm hmm. But it said on the flip side, it said that strong friendships can help to build better sleep, Mm -hmm. lower risk of hypertension, and just generally heal better. Which I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. You can actually heal. Your body can actually heal better with social relationships. So it's not talking about romantic relationships. It's talking about just your social relationships. And whether they're really strong relationships or, or not, they're just acquaintances or work people. They all have different effects. That's right. The article does focus on how there are different types of friendships and how they are all important to have. Mm -hmm. And I also found it interesting that it talked a lot about how to build friendships and that that's a skill. Mm -hmm. So it talked about a lot of people who maybe wait until their midlife to really form those friendships because maybe you were focused on your career Mm -hmm. or maybe you were focused on your family. But then at that point, you don't have the skills in your brain really to help build those friendships. Yeah. So not only is it important to have those friendships, but it's important to always have kind of friendships. Yes. Yes. I do have a personal story about that because I come from a large family. Mm -hmm. So there was 10 of us and we were all very close in age. So we didn't actually need to make friends because we woke up with friends right there and then. But when I moved to Montreal for my dance career... I didn't have anyone. I was all alone. I had to literally train myself 
to become a better friend, right? Return phone calls, ask people if they want to go out, you know, make dates and, and do things that help build your friendship, which you don't have to do in a family. I find like, they're just like, they're right there. They're right there. (laughs) Hey, what do you want to do? Okay, let's do that. You know? (laughs) For sure. So I did feel like that one when I was a young adult that I needed to learn to build relationships. And yeah, it's it such really a skill. Important. Yeah, it was yeah. a skill. I know for me, I have felt the isolation piece when I was in South Korea. Mm-hmm. So I know I taught there for two years. And my first year there, I had formed some really great friendships. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky to have those people there. And then I decided to stay on another year. And they did not. Mm-hmm. So most of my friend group had left. And it was amazing to see how different it felt not to have them. Mm -hmm. And I think once those kind of people leave and you've already had them there, it's harder to create new friendships. Mm -hmm. I think when I was at that point in my life, I thought, well, I'm only here for a year. What's the point? Yeah. And I think that was maybe something that wasn't so good for me. No, no, that's yeah, because you need connection. For sure. You need to have some friends. And, And it also said in the article that acquaintances or work colleagues, challenge you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They're your mindset because you tend to make friends with people that have similar thought processes and values that you have, maybe religious values that you have, physical, you know, they work out with you, that kind of thing. And then just acquaintances, they can expand your mind, mm-hmm. make you think differently. So I thought that was interesting. Do you find that you've had experience with that in oh, your life? Definitely, yeah. definitely. Because this new job that I have, most of the people are young. Okay. Right. So it's a different age group. So different thought process and they're going through different things than I am. So one, I find it interesting the way that they think and I have different experiences than they have. I have gone through different experiences than they have. A lot of them aren't married yet. They don't have kids, that kind of thing. So hearing their stories and listening to how they think things through is interesting and fun. And then it's interesting to see how workplace friendships can develop and become more personal. And maybe you spend more time with them, which is really great because as an adult, it's a little hard to make new friends. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. it is. But it did say in the article that it's really great to have friends that you grew up with. Definitely. have those, those friends that you've had for a really long time, that it's really important to try and nurture those relationships because they are really valuable for your mental and physical health. And it said that, the peak age to create those friendships is actually 15, 16. Yeah. So teenager ages. Which surprises me. Oh, yeah. Because I, I would think that you would make more friends younger. Like, do you find that as a teacher, that kids make friends much easier when they're young? It totally depends. I do think everyone is super friendly in my classroom, which is a kindergarten classroom. Right. They're all friends at all different times, and they float between their friendship groups very easily. Mm-hmm. But in my personal experience... I think the most meaningful friendships I have were my high school friends. Yeah. And that could be because I jumped to a different school in high school. So I didn't continue my high school career with the students I went to in my elementary career. Mm -hmm. But even with that, I did switch schools multiple times until grade three. Mm -hmm. And then grade three through grade eight, I was at the same school. But I don't really stay in contact with those groups of friends anymore. It's my high school friends that I stay in contact with. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's because in high school a little bit bigger of a pool of groups of friends so you can find those friends that do have more things in common with you and things that you want to do whereas when you're in grade school 
you have a limited pool. Limited pool. Right? Yeah, you may not find the people you're interested in the same kind of things the with. Same yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. So I think that's a great point. That that could be it. But I agree that those high school relationships were probably the strongest. Yeah. But for me, actually, my strongest relationships are dance dancers, dance related friends. You like, shared the dance world together. Exactly. So that was a kind of a small pool of people. So hmm, interesting. But I went to high school with them, but I also danced with them and I'm still friends with a few of them today. So, yeah, I think because you went through such strict training together, I think that bonds people. Mm -hmm. I would say also my university friends are friends that I'm still very close with, even though we are all separated. I think those are the kind of friendships where I could see them after months, years, and we just go back to exactly the same people we were. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, too, with your friends, because Elise has three different types of university friends, yeah. <laughs> but they've kind of all melded together as mm-hmm. one. So like she has the Queens University friends. She has her castle friends because she went to a castle program for her first year. So they call them the castle friends. And then she has the Jordan friends. Yes. She did her Jordan dig and those are her Jordan friends. And some of the castle friends think that they're her Jordan friends. <laughs> they've all kind of melded together. They have. And that's pretty cool that I've had the opportunity to be able to blend those groups together. Definitely. Yeah. It's a nice group of friends. So what do you get out of your friendships and what different kinds of friendships do you find you have? So I definitely have those workplace friends. And it's interesting. I was thinking about it earlier. Whenever I post something on social media, I don't often think about my workplace friends as my closest friends, but they're Mm -hmm. always the first people to like my posts or comment on my posts. So I think I'm realizing right now how important those friendships are. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then I have uh, my university friends. Right. And I see them not so often, but they're very important friendships to me. Mm-hmm. And my high school friends very similar. I don't see them very often, but they're the kind of friends that I can just fall back into the same kind of person I was mm-hmm. then. And I always feel super safe, super comfortable with them. But I find... I'm a social person, so being social with other people just fills my bucket. I agree. Yeah, I feel like when I'm out visiting with someone or seeing someone that I haven't been with for a long time, I so enjoy it, even though I'm really busy and I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like yes. I'm thinking that before I go and, oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? When I'm there with them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I made time for this. It just energizes me. Oh, I, for sure. I feel so much more energized not just my body, like physically, but I feel like my mind too. Like when you're hearing about all the things that they're doing and it just makes me lighter, makes me feel lighter. Yeah. It like fills my battery. And I know I had read somewhere once that extroverts get energy from spending time with people, whereas Mm -hmm. introverts get energy from spending time alone. Interesting. And I think that for me, I'm truly an extrovert then. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think you get that from me. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) Because I am very, like I definitely spend a lot of time with John, obviously, but I do need to find, go out and find other relationships because I need that interaction much more than he does. Yes. He's much more introverted than I am, so. Right, and I, yeah, I find actually staying home, watching TV or being at home by myself, I find it, drains my battery more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can feel exhausting. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. Anyway, so friendships are important. That's basically what we get out of this article. So make sure you make time for it. Even when you're busy and have so much to do, just try and reach out and 
in person, spend time with friends. Love it. Guests are giving their time, expanding our minds. Today's interview is in the category of physical wellness. Mike Keenapple recently joined us on Move That Body to talk about how much he loves CrossFit and what he gets from it. Today we'll chat about an amazing experience he had with CrossFit. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks. Nice to be here. So Mike Keenapple is a business owner and an avid outdoor enthusiast. He enjoys camping, canoe trips, exploring, and his gym life at CrossFit Kitchener. Mike has lived in the Waterloo region his entire life. He has two adult children, his daughter Emily and his son Sean. And Mike is proof that you can improve your physical health as we age. Not that he's old, because he can't be, because he's my age, 59. (laughs) Mike loves CrossFit and recently participated in the CrossFit Open. I bumped into him a few months back, and he was excited to tell me about his training. I asked if he could share a story with us. So Mike, can we please start with what is the CrossFit Open? The CrossFit Open is a worldwide fitness competition in the sport of CrossFit. It's open to any skill level and age, and it's done every February for five weeks, once a year. You said that it's open to people of any age, but are there different categories? Like, would you be competing against 30-year-olds? Yeah, there's different categories. It starts with the teen-level competition, and then there's the adult, and then there's the master's competition. I'm in an age group 55 to 59 right now, and then next year I'll be in the 60 to 64 Does everybody do the same activities? For example, I'm imagining if you do Olympic weights, there's probably certain weight things you do, and maybe there's certain gymnastic things. Does everybody run through the same activities? Everything is the same until you reach a certain age. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but the workout that I do, it's the same movements, but lighter weight and a little less difficult gymnastic movements. Okay. And so give us an example of some of the stuff you'd have to do in this competition. Well, a typical workout would be 10 pull-ups, 15 burpees, 20 clean and jerks, times five rounds for time. Oh, so it's for time. It's not whether you just do it. You're trying to do it quickly. Usually for time. Does everybody do it on the same day? The workouts get announced on Thursday evening, and you have until Monday at noon to do the workout. You can do it as many times as you want, and if you're not doing it in a CrossFit affiliate, it needs to be videotaped because there are standards for each movement. And you can get those standards off of CrossFit.com. Let me back up a bit because I think I stopped you. So what are kind of the categories of movements? I suppose there's weightlifting, gymnastics. Is there anything else? Generally, it's just for the open, it's just gymnastics and weightlifting. Okay. That's interesting too, that you can just You did it, you didn't like it today, you try it again the next day? Is that something you can do? Well, it's very high intensity. Generally, a day off is probably a good idea. So, But you could redo it. You can redo it as many times as you want. Now, how long did you take? As opposed to asking how long would, you know, does it take? Let me ask, how long did it take you to train for this year's event? It's a year-round process. There is a sort of an off-season after the Open, which I take. So I I take a, a few months off. And then I just start slowly back. And then in September, it's, it's full-on training. 
until the competition at the end of February. So a good six months. And is that what's motivating? You're like, I'm getting ready for the open. I'm going to... Absolutely. That's just the fire is burning. One thing I wonder too, because in running, if you're going to run a marathon or half marathon, you have what's called a tapering period. So you work hard and build up mileage and whatnot until a couple of weeks, depends who you are, it might be two weeks, might be three weeks, but you, then you continue to run, but you're doing a lot less volume. Yeah. Maybe, is there anything like that? It's a deload. Okay. So the weight comes down and the intensity comes down, usually a couple of weeks prior to the start of the event. So for you, what, what were some of the events that you're stronger in? Anything gymnastics. My okay. body weight to strength ratio is quite high, so... Those movements are easy for me. The barbell cycling movements I find more difficult and just take a lot of energy out of me. So if you're in my same category as me and you're a lot heavier, you'll move that bar way quicker, way easier than I can. But I can fly up and down the bars and the rings quite quickly at my weight. So it's a trade-off. I think if I had a choice, I'd like to have that kind of flexibility and that mobility. I just see it as being more practical in everyday life. And it's a lot more fun. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you're going fast. (laughs) Yeah. Are those then your favorite events because they're the ones you're best at? Absolutely. Anything body weight. We have a workout twice a year on the Memorial Day weekend. It's called Murph. So it's a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, mile run for time. Oh my God, 100 pull-ups. I'd like to be able to do one (laughs) pull-up. So that's, that's my best event. It's not an event in oh, the CrossFit wow. Open, but it's the, it's a consistent benchmark workout in our gym and every CrossFit gym around the world. And I think I have the third best score in our entire membership. That's amazing. Now, if you were doing 100 pull-ups, are they broken up into sections? Like, how does that work? Generally, for the pull-ups, push-ups, and air squats, it's 5, 10, 15, 20 rounds of that. So, so five, five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 air squats, okay. times 20 rounds, and then back out for your second mile run. I never appreciated how great air squats were, so I got into running and I was reading stuff about how to warm up and how to train, and, and you know, squats are great with weights, deadlifts are great, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But even air squats, are like I think they're underestimated. Yeah, if you did like five rounds of air squats, 30 air squats, You'll feel it the next day for sure. Yeah. So I'm at the point right now, just so you know, like I started with light weights. So I started increasing my weight slowly. Right. I'm like, this is great. Everything's going wonderful. And then in the last week, I increased them a little bit more and had a couple leg squat yeah. type days and I'm like, <laughs> having a hard time on the stairs Getting today. up the stairs. I, I, know, I know that pain. Uh, you like those ones. Is there one event that you just don't like? It's kind of like your least favorite event. Anything that involves double unders. So a double under is skipping, but the rope goes around twice every jump. It's a very coordination skilled movement, and I just find it exhausting. It's hard to do it, especially if there's a high volume of double unders to do, followed by a bunch of other crazy things. That's amazing. So there's skipping involved as well. Absolutely. That's one of the harder movements. I bet. We had somebody on the show who talked about how she likes skipping. Yeah, and that's I was a like, great. Uh, I was dreading it. I'm like, builder of the aerobic system. So after I interviewed her, I got my skipping rope out and I'm like, I am not very coordinated. <laughs> it's going to take me some time. It does. It takes a lot of time. It's a skill just like anything else. I did find though, because I was trying to incorporate it in my training for my last marathon. And I did find that the one-legged 
skipping was interesting. Like it did seem to have a really good effect. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's not just jumping up and down as the rope comes underneath you. You can do foot to foot. You can do on one foot, other foot, um, all sorts of things for skipping. Okay, so how did your training go this year? When I guess it was fall of 2022 into early 2023, how'd your training go? It was really well. Uh, I had a an injury. My knees are starting to wear, and I'm getting a lot of pain in my knees in the past six months. So it's getting harder the older I get. But you know, I just have to back off the training, back off the volume. A lot of people, whenever I tell people I run, at least 50% of them say, oh, it must be hard on your knees. And I'm always like, don't say anything, but I'm thinking, no, why do you think that? Like, actually, if you read the studies... Everybody says that. If you read the studies, running is actually good for your knees. It strengthens joints, If, if you're running tendons. properly. That's right. But I can't help but wonder, do you think, you know, are you thinking that for you it's just age and kind of degeneration? Or do you think maybe the combination of the weights or something? No, it's not anything to do with CrossFit. Okay. It's everything to do with my career as a right industrial mechanic. You know, I spent a lot of time on my knees fixing forklifts and outdoors and on gravel and damp conditions and just up and down forklifts for, you know, 40 years has really taken its toll. So you're paying the price for it now? I am. Do you think, though, that this kind of exercise buys you some more time that you otherwise wouldn't have? Would Absolutely, you? for sure. That's my thinking, too. Yeah, you're, you're using your muscles, you're flexing your muscles, you're increasing the strength of your tendons, ligaments, joints. It's nothing but good, as long as you don't overdo it. So I saw you before you did the competition, and you're feeling pretty good. Your training was going pretty good. How did the day go, or how many times did you do it? And then how did Oh, it go? that's a good question. Um, so there's five workouts and for five weeks. So it starts on Friday. The announcement what the workout's going to be is Thursday evening, and you have the weekend till Monday to do it, and then... The next week, it's a different workout. And so there's generally five workouts. Okay, interesting, because I pictured in my mind that it would be the same thing every year. But it sounds like you're saying that they'll they'll you know use the same kind of movements but have different combinations of... Yes, oh, absolutely. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. so it's every never year? the same. So you can't... Cool. You need to prepare for everything, every variable. You have to be good at everything because you're going to be doing it all over that course of time i like that making you well-rounded so you you don't know what to expect yeah you, you kind of want to have an attitude of having no holes in your game that's tough though good it is, there's a lot of movements in crossfit and to be good at all of them is a very difficult task i love it it's a great challenge and so how'd you end up doing i finished 99th in canada that's incredible and that's in your age group that's in the 55 to 59 age group oh, RX, which is the prescribed workout. Nothing is scaled. Everything is. Uh, so RX. So you were saying earlier that at a certain age, it's like lighter weights or different exercises. Yeah. And everything, they have a scaled division as well. So if you can't do the RX, let's say it's five bar muscle ups, 10 box jumps and 20 burpees times five rounds. And if you can't do a bar muscle up, then you can do the scaled version, which will probably be a pull-up. But what you're saying like is that. you did the RX, the straight version. RX, yes. Well, that sounds amazing. And was that kind of what you were shooting for? In the top 100, can't be happier than that. That's awesome. Um, you know, I've been under the top 50. So I think 43rd, two years ago, 2019 maybe. 
Well, now that you're ago. skipping up to 60, you've got a good chance of being better. That's right. I'm at the bottom <laughs> of the heap now. So, you know, I compete against 64-year-olds. So, Yeah. I'm never competing against anyone on my runs. I'm always like middle of the pack. or, But I still love to do it. I still love the exercise. Now, do you ever think back to the time before you did all this and think, I never imagined? Because for me, it's very surprising to me that I'm getting in better shape as I'm older. Like it was just sure. something I was always kind of a bookish, nerdy type, non-athlete. I, I did some sports, but I wasn't athletic. Right. And sometimes in the last few years, I've actually felt almost athletic. And it shocks me that, that that's happening after I turned 50. Do you have that kind of experience? All the time. All the time. For starters, I can do things I never thought was even possible at my age. As far as weightlifting, back squats, deadlifts, I can do a tremendous amount more than in my prime at 24, by that's far. A, that's really great. Yeah. Well, mobility has a lot to do with the amount of weight you can move. And core strength plays a big role in my sport. And I have developed those pretty well, so not overly surprised. But being able to do the gymnastic movements that I didn't even know existed, like walking on your hands, doing handstand push-ups, doing ring muscle-ups. We also have rings that we do in our sport. And it's just, I find it amazing. Yeah, I love that too. I just so amazes me that our human body can adapt in these amazing ways. And and I really like do believe that by doing this kind of stuff at our age, you know, we have a real shot at it. If we make it to our 80s, if we make it to our 90s, we'll actually be walking around, hopefully. Yes, that's exactly right. And enjoying life. Be fit at 80. That's my Wouldn't goal. Wouldn't that be nice? And yeah. mobile. So you're a little bit more into competition than me, which I think is fantastic because it motivates you. For me, the motivation is I want to be mobile when I'm, I want to enjoy my life as, as long as I can. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, just sticking with it and being consistent is really the key. Yeah, it's amazing how fast it drops off if you're not consistent. It does. It does. It's like starting over. It's not so much the younger you are, but, you know, at my age, if you lose a month, it takes a long time to get back to where you were. But you can. You can. Okay, well, we're approaching the end of the interview. Just before I turn to the question I ask every guest, is there anything else you wanted to tell us about CrossFit, your experience with the CrossFit Open? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when people maybe youtube crossfit and they see all this crazy movement that's not really what the sport is about most people can't do pull-ups or bar muscle-ups or those things but there is scaled versions of that and the key is to show up every day and and work hard and the payoff is huge i've, I've seen that personally in in myself and people at the gym and it's a beautiful community we have so much fun together we do other stuff outside of the gym and it's just been a great experience. Ten years ago, I would have had a hard time believing that. But I've had some nice experiences myself now where things that seemed impossible became possible. That's right. And so I love that thought of, okay, can't do a pull-up like that, but you, there's other things you can do. Do the scaled-down version. Yeah. Just keep doing it. Keep taking time, and you're going to do something more amazing than you thought you could. That's absolutely right. So let me turn to the question we ask every guest. Our show is about wellness, and we talk about different categories of wellness. Today we're on physical, but we talk about lots. But we know that we don't always have time to keep all our categories strong at any given time. So we do what's essentially a mini wellness check-in. 
Are you currently neglecting an area of wellness in your life? And if so, can you think of even one thing you can do to foster wellness in that area? What I do every morning, I'm an early riser. So what I do every morning, I grab my coffee, I do a a loop around the park near where I live, downtown Kitchener. And I think about like a walk, just a walk, Okay, a walk around the park. Usually it's about five o'clock in the morning. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It gives me time to think. And I just have time to, in that environment, just to get in tune with my body and what's going on and just try to figure things out. What do I need to work on today? What did I do yesterday that wasn't so good? And just have a plan moving through in that environment makes it a lot easier. I can see how that would be really helpful. I Recently, I decided to try and not go with a car to work, like to not drive to work. So I'm either biking oh, or that's pretty cool. taking the bus. How far do you have to go to work? It's about 5K. So it's not very far. But there's been a couple times lately, for whatever reason, it's best for me. I, I have time to walk. And so I've been walking to work around 7, 7.30, not quite as early as you. Right. And it wasn't for this reason, but I'm noticing that feeling. You know, the city's kind of waking up slowly around yes. you. And there's this real sense of, you know, just you feel your breath, you feel the air yep. walking along and starting to like slowly wake up your body and Watch mind. Watch the sun come up. Yeah. It's a really cool experience. So I, I love that idea. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a retired artist dancing through life. Hi everyone, it's Sheila here, and I am hijacking Cameron's Starving Artist one more time. I've been a dancer my whole life, and a starving artist for a small amount of it. I taught in the Kitchener, Guelph, Palmerston, Harrison area, and then owned a studio after that. I've been teaching for over 30 years, and with that brings a lot of experience. Today, I want to talk about extracurricular activities and how it is so important for kids to learn how to get the experience that other activities give you, especially art. I find that it opens up their mind in a way that really helps with education, really helps with math. And I feel like it's something that is really hard to learn in school. So it's really great to do it in an extracurricular way. A lot of parents have come up to me and told me how confident how much improved their child has become in just their everyday life. In their coordination, they skip, they sing, they seem much more confident moving and obviously dancing to music, but also performing a presentation or performing in drama or doing a speech. That the kids just seem to be much more able to be leaders. So that's really cool. Because my idea of running a dance studio was never that I was going to be building a prima ballerinas. It's really hard, just like sports and all these other things. It's really hard to be that 0.001% that make it in that profession. But you do gain so much from doing these sports, these activities, and my case dance. You gain so much that it's that that I'm trying to foster. For dance, it's the love of music the love of movement, the awareness of your body and how you can move in certain ways and also the strength that you get from just dancing 
for a certain amount of time. The strength in your legs and your arms and your core movement. I really find that it helped everyone in their life. But also, we're working as a team. You have to work together. When you're dancing together, sometimes you're pulling and lifting and doing things like that together. But other times you're just all on stage and you need each other to do their part. And everyone works together. And so that's really a great team building effort. And when you get off stage, you're so excited and so happy that it went well. But I must say that I do also feel like we've learned a lot from when it doesn't go well. And we all have those stories. You go on stage and you forget what you're doing. You just totally black out or you fall. There's a slippery spot and you lost your balance and you fell. And how you worked through that and how you continued to keep going. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you ran off stage. Whatever the experience was, you definitely grew from it. And you learned that you didn't die from it. That you kept going. And that it keeps moving. And, and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that is something that I feel like kids learn in dance at a very young age and take it with them for the rest of their lives. So don't knock it. Extracurriculars do really help kids in their growing. And it definitely helped in my development. I hope you've enjoyed and we'll talk to you soon. We're glad you're here and we hope you're making wellness a priority. Hope you're getting something out of the podcast. And especially for people who are new, you might not know that the podcast was inspired by my book, Accidentally Well by John Webster. It's available on Amazon, Indigo, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere where you can buy books online. And this is my pitch for you to buy a copy and have a read. I think it'll enhance the experience of the podcast and it will also help us defray some costs because it's really expensive putting out a podcast. So grab a copy if you can, and in the meantime, enjoy the rest of the show. Move that body like we're meant to do. And it's John and Sheila here from Move That Body. What are we going to be talking about today, John? We're going to talk about an article, and over the next few weeks, I think we're going to cover a few different articles that I found. Mm-hmm. I've been struggling with my weight, as you know. So like the whole story is I finally got in really good shape. I lost a lot of weight. And I had read in advance that you can reset your mind, mm-hmm. right? So if you're eating a lot and you're obese, then you want more food and you're not satisfied with food. But I had it in my head that it would reset my the way my brain chemistry worked. Mm-hmm. So lately I've been like, why is it so hard? Anyway, I found this article and it's bad news. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's bad news, but now I know what I'm facing. So Mm -hmm. that gives me kind of motivation to turn things around. The article is called Obesity Changes the Brain with No Sign of Reversibility, Expert Says. It's by Sandy Lamont of CNN. And it was published June 12th, 2023. And essentially what it's saying is that once you become obese, and they define that based on the BMI scale, but don't worry about the fine tuning Once you become obese, it could damage your brain's ability to recognize the sensation of fullness and be satisfied after eating fats and sugars. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like it completely changes it no matter if your weight changes. If you become regular or normal on the 
BMI, you still have that brain deficiency. Your brain doesn't acknowledge that you're full. I know, it's crazy. And it says there's no signs of reversibility. So even someone like me who lost a lot of weight, kept it off for quite a while, you know, it's always there in the back of my head. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you want more. You want some junk food. You're not satisfied with what you ate. And they directly link it to the brain chemistry. Yes. And I'm not going to get into all the detail, but basically they did the study by giving people food intravenously, I think, or directly into their stomachs, mm-hmm. so they didn't even have the sensation of eating. And then they tested people who were of normal weight versus obese, mm-hmm. even people who had lost weight after being obese, and they noticed a different reaction in the mind. Mm-hmm. That, so, their, that their mind didn't activate and that they didn't produce dopamine, which yes. is the satif- satisfying. Right. But the two basic ones that you've just said are one is your brain is like, oh, I'm not recognizing that I'm full. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the dopamine is like, ooh, that was great. Yeah. It didn't do either of those things for the obese people. Which re- this really blows my mind. I, know, I didn't realize that. I thought that. I've heard of muscle memory, so your cells actually want to get back to the original weight that they were at. Right. And so that's really hard that your body's kind of pushing you to do that. Right. I've heard of that before, but I didn't know that it actually affects your mind and that it's irreversible. But I think that other point you're making is mine too. And so the reality is I'm not asking for sympathy. Like I'm not saying, oh, you know, boo-hoo. What was me? But for those of you who think, especially if you've never been obese, if you think, these people, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with them? Just stop eating as much. You know, it's just not that simple, okay? Because their bodies are saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. And then we take stuff in. The body's saying, I don't... It doesn't even acknowledge that you've actually eaten. Yeah. Yeah, And and while you, who maybe have been at a normal weight your whole life, like, wow, that... That ice cream cone is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And especially they say with fats. And I think this is true because I noticed this when I was trying to pick the right snacks. Mm -hmm. The difference between fats and sugars. I realized that if I act, and fats are actually good for you and in moderation, you need Mm -hmm. fats. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there were some foods that maybe were a bit fatty, but I noticed if I ate them, I was like, oh, that's satisfying. Mm -hmm. So that's good. But this article says that, especially with fats, it wasn't recognizing it that much. So someone who's at a normal weight might eat something and go, wow, that's great. I'm feeling great. I don't need anything for a while. Someone who is now at a normal weight but was obese might not feel that way. And someone who is obese might not feel that way. So mm-hmm. am I looking for sympathy? No, but I'm looking for understanding. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's knowledge. It's good to know, like when you're trying to lose weight or when you do lose weight, just be aware that this is something that scientists have finding. So you need to maybe not depend on that brain function to know when you're full. Stick to what you have planned on eating and eat that, and that's it. So that, that's a hard no, thing that's to try a great and figure point. So now I'd like to read a quote. The belief that weight gain can be solved simply by just eating less, exercising more, and if you don't do that, it's a lack of willpower, is simplistic and so untrue. I think it's important for people who are struggling with obesity to know that a malfunctioning brain may be the reason they wrestle with food intake. Right. And I want to, you know, I've been talking to the people who, who are of normal weight and think that people who are heavier should lose weight easily. Now I want to talk to the people like me who are having a hard time losing weight. Mm-hmm. 
this is knowledge, like Sheila said. This is knowledge that you can have now. And I know, and you know, that you don't lack willpower because, you know, we, we work really hard. And then, you know, every once in a while, we eat too much. And that's all you really need to do to gain weight. So, you know, five days in a week, you could have great willpower. And now we know, too, that it's really hard for us because we're do- using that willpower in a context where our brains are acting differently. Mm-hmm. But it's good news, okay, because knowledge is good. And like Sheila said, figure out healthy eating. And the article does say that if you don't know what that means, please consult with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like in my case, I saw a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. And I just know that my fate in life is I have to be ultra super disciplined. Mm-hmm. I haven't been that in the last year or two. But having read this article, it actually gives me a bit of hope. Good. You know, that I need to get back to that discipline. And I understand why I've been having a hard time not being disciplined, but I think I can do it. There's a thought. Popped up while running. People who listen know that I love quotes. I'd seen a a quote on my social media feed just before I went on my run. And it was by Pablo Picasso. And what he said was, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. And that's something I often think about. And I was when I was running. It's something I've learned. It's definitely one of the life lessons that I, I cherish. That yes, good things happen, but you have to be receptive to them. And you have to make yourself receptive to them. And you can get great ideas, but again, you have to be receptive to them. And that's, for example one of the reasons I had my breakthrough about wellness was because I had been doing so much thinking about all these different areas of wellness. All of a sudden it clicked in one time, but that's because of all the preparatory work. And just generally in life, I find that it's worth it to put in hard work. And especially when it comes to things like reading and learning and being open to ideas and hearing other people's thoughts and hearing other people's opinions and then brainstorming. And then something doesn't work and you try it again and and it just opens so many doors because those doors are not there to be opened if you haven't put yourself in the position to see a connection between X and Y. For example, if you didn't read about X or Y. <laughs> so anyway, I just was having a really nice feeling today, enjoying how much I love brainstorming, how much I love learning, how much I love working, and that it's really worth it to put a lot of hard work into all kinds of stuff, whether it's podcast, whether it's work, whether it's exercise. So yeah, Pablo, I agree with you. Inspiration exists, but it's got to find you working. Um, Just let me say, flip side of the coin. It's flip side, and we sometimes talk about relationship stuff. Yeah. This one's thorny. Thorny. (laughs) Thorny topic for you, Sheila. Okay. I was thinking about trust. Uh Uh-huh. You know, the fact that you have to trust your partner. Yes. And ultimately, though, you know, when I think about it, trust is a choice. Right. Kind of like a faith. You have to choose to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you can never know for sure mm-hmm. if the other person is being honest with you. Right. All, that, the, all the time. Yeah, that is true. And so then ultimately, if you can't know that for sure, you're right. It's kind of like faith. Mm-hmm. What you are you believe do? or don't believe. And mm-hmm. so you kind of choose to believe. And I think that's why one of the reasons why lies, and this isn't coming from anything that happened between us i'm not saying you lied to me or i definitely didn't lie to you i was just thinking about this for some reason 
Because sometimes that happens to me. I do these small yeah. little things. <laughs> I, I think like I just sometimes write trouble. down these thoughts to talk about. It, and I I can't remember because this was a long time ago. I think somebody was telling me about a relationship where one of the people lied to the other and the second couldn't get over it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of get that because after somebody, after you find out that they lied to you, it makes it really hard to choose to believe them going forward. Yes, and I did actually listen to this book called... I think you said The Art of Not Giving an F. Yes. We can't say the word. The Art of Not Giving an F. And so I was just looking, you know, for a book to listen to. And I was like, this sounds really light. It wasn't light, actually. No, I heard really good things about it. Yeah, it wasn't light at all. But he did have a whole section in there about relationships and about trust and how important it is to have that trust. And if it is lost it's really hard to get back that you need to really work on it. Now it isn't impossible. It's something you have to work on and you have to understand that it's going to take a while. But then if it gets lost again, the second time it's like twice as bad. You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, like it happened again. Oh, so sorry. Let's, let's rebuild, rebuild. It's like, no, it goes down like double. So trust is really important in a relationship. And I remember you and I laughing one time a month or so ago, there was some meme about overthinkers, mm-hmm. which you accuse me of being. Yeah, you are. No, there's a hundred. It's a hundred percent. You're I an didn't overthinker. say you were wrong. <laughs> I just said accuse you, you accuse me of being an overthinker. <laughs> You're an overthinker, and, and I'm, said, I'm probably an underthinker. But <laughs> one of the things it said was, "Don't lie to an overthinker. It will not end well. It will not end well." <laughs> and I saw that meme and I showed it to him, and I was like, "Look at this. This is so true." Because there's been a few times I've got caught in these little lies, well, and he and over he just like questions and questions until. It, that's a problem, right? Like some, one person in the relationship thinks, you know what? I'm tired. I don't want to have to justify whatever happened, which was totally innocent anyway. And it's not a big deal. But I know if I tell the person, they're going to make a big deal about yeah, especially it. Especially if you're an overthinker. So it's easier for me to just say, <laughs> oh, I was just out of friends. Right. And um, I'm not talking about anything bad either. I'm just right. talking about it's a little white lie. Yeah. And unfortunately it doesn't, it doesn't for me, well. it doesn't. And well, even no. a little white lies. So I don't do it. I, I try not to do it as much as I can because it just doesn't. No, you're m- much more much. successful. Sheila's, the- Sheila's strategy is more need to know basis. Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm going to tell you something, well, I know that you're going to either argue with me about or, you know, get upset about. I just have to make sure I time it really well. Right. That's true. To- <laughs> it's the timing that I have to. Okay. I have to make sure that's not the end of work where he's just had a stressful day. Okay. Now have to figure it out. Okay, now now do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're so, talking a little bit about ourselves and mm-hmm. and fortunately we do choose to trust and, you know, but even still there's issues. But just I just think it's really interesting. And when I heard that story about somebody, and basically I think in their case, the relationship was ending. Mm-hmm. It was probably something serious. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, it's, it, you can see how, how trust is just so critical in a relationship. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Please remember that we're not providing advice. We hope to inspire you to work towards balance, and we urge you to consult with qualified people if you need advice. The people on the show are speaking in their personal capacities. Their views expressed are their own, and don't represent the views or opinions of their outside contacts, their employers, or anyone else. We try to get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct, or that the things we talk about will work for you. Let's be well together, and let's be sure to do that in a safe way. And it's sign-off time. It's Sheila here with Elise and John. 
Hello. Hey. Well, I had an interesting week this week. I have a recurring knee injury and it was pretty bad this week. So I was trying to get it better and just trying to do nothing. So I did a pretty good job this weekend of staying off of it. Not driving it was irritating it. So I was trying not to drive too much. So that was my goal this weekend. And I did a pretty good job and my knee is getting better. So hopefully it continues. And I do have a shout out for Nancy Kinsley and Mike. They did a great job at the Labor Day barbecue that they were organizing and volunteering at. And it was really fun. So John and I biked all the way to Waterloo Park and participated in that and then biked back. And it was a hot one today. Yes. So what about you, John? What's going on? It was a hot one. I did a run today and foolishly waited till like 11 o'clock, you know, one of the hardest, hottest time of the day. But for me, it was a challenging weekend because on one hand, it's a long weekend. So you're like, yay, I get an extra day of relaxation. But I have such a busy week coming up that it kept being in the back of my head. So I was trying to do that balancing act where you're trying not to think about work, but you can't not think about work. Heavy stuff coming down the pike. I think I did a good job relaxing. We did a visiting trip to my mom up at Sobble Beach and ran into my brother and my sister and their families. Mm-hmm. That was and nice. we visited with Elise mm-hmm. and Stephen. That was great. And then I spent a couple hours, few hours this afternoon, just kind of getting ready for the week. And that seemed to calm me down. So much so that we forgot about sign off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just kind of remembering it last minute. So that's kind of funny. So how are you doing, Elise? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit nervous because it's the eve before the first day of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's always a little nerve wracking, no matter how many times you do it. You're always a little worried about how the day is going to go. But this will be my first week back in the classroom teaching kindergarten. So I'm excited. I'm nervous. There are a whole lot of feelings going on. Uh, but I had a lovely weekend. Stephen and I went to the Stratford Festival. So they have a renowned festival with amazing theater. And we got to see Spam a lot. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. I think I had a smile on my face the entire time. I, the whole time, just smiling and laughing. It was great. And then we were able to go to the beach with you both. And that was lovely to get a little swim in. And we've just been enjoying our last few minutes of summer. Because mm-hmm. it all starts tomorrow. It all, oh, it all starts tomorrow. But I'm hoping to keep up with the routines I've established in the last couple of weeks with working out five times a week. And I'm just hoping that it goes well. And I'm starting a new pottery class tomorrow as well. So I'm excited for that. Well, best of luck to you, Elise, at school and your pottery. And I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. And we'll speak to you soon. That is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority. You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that. Accept yourself for the person you are. So long. Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.